I guess that would do it for this week. Henrik, what is our next film? I actually have no fantasy idea. Are, are we are we looking something classical? Maybe sci-fi? I think we are going to look at if if you are willing, if this podcast is willing, if I am willing. That's to, a pretty big if. Yeah. <laughs> if we are willing to return to the US cinema, is this podcast going to do this? Or are we out of the US area? Maybe not. Maybe not, because American cinema typically is is, is rat piece and puke, so... Oh. <clears throat> alien as well? Also, also very alien. Are, are you trying to foreshadow shadow something here for us? You will find out that one next <laughs> week. Thanks for joining us and see you next week. Yeah, I'll do that. That that went actually pretty well. I I'm, I must confess. Yeah. I, I was surprised how easy this was actually do. Yeah, this was this was. Yeah. Uh, looking forward to next week. Maybe we don't need that holiday after all. I, I I'm also thinking that maybe we can you know skip the holiday. I mean, in in all honesty, in all honesty, if we are supposed to take a longer break from this podcast, in that case, I guess we should kind of like <clears throat> give a pre warning to our listeners, like mention it like couple of weeks before we take the holiday just so that everybody or our our one listener our mom or your mom because my oh. mom refuses to listen to this triple will actually know that we are taking a holiday oh no that's not important our faithful listeners will come back to it especially because this podcast is starting to be the only place where people can get a hold of me so that's that's, <laughs> that's my little trick here to make people listen to this fucking show. <laughs> I'm no longer on WhatsApp. I'm no longer on Facebook. Yeah, yeah but essentially holding your entire social circles as a, as a hostage, just so that you can guard up some listeners. This is the state of film podcasting today. I'm, I'm tr- trying to be a bit of a Willard White of my generation. That's a, <laughs> that might be a little bit of a... Too nerdy reference. Would it be scene by scene? I'm well. If if we have to, we we can we can have a really quick scene by scene. Okay. <clears throat> scene one. Once upon a time, illited und something like that. Yeah. Let's just describe what is happening more or less as the, the, the best of my ability why do i have to do this well, well you, you, are, you are the one who who still picks the flick like, oh. honest honest to god honest to god i was to do my my background for, for the film and i w- went on to internet as you do to look up on on the easy to go wikipedia articles that would kind of give you the free synopsis and give you ready-made analysis so that you don't have to actually have to come up with your own stuff for the, for the podcast. And I, I noticed that none of the usual pundits that I visit to steal material actually had ever, you know, covered this this film. And I, I, I was curious that why is this case? Like, why, why doesn't our our typical 
uh, art house cinema experts ever talk about about this movie. And then I watched that movie, and and I went, oh, that's the reason. Hmm. Curious, how how come? Yeah, but any anyways, we yeah we we opened the movie with a scene of the director sharpening a razor blade. Yes, in in the glow of a pale moonlight. The sharpener is leaning on the doorknob for one reason or another. He goes to balcony, and there is the cloud cutting the moon in half, followed by Kalfsai getting scalpeled, suggested to be the lady getting scalpeled or razor bladed. Scene two: a man on a bicycle dressed up in some feminine outfit. What is that? Do you want to add on it already? It's it's a nun's abbot. Is it? Okay. Yeah. That, or at least it's supposed to be. With what looks like a radio hanging around his neck. Or, or some kind of a wooden box. And and what, what is important to take note is that the title card clearly states that this happens eight years later. Even though yeah. there are no any kind of a, a vi- visual hints to give to the audience that any time has actually passed. And the non-suit kind of doubles his weird flapping ears for this guy. There's a quick shot of the guy cycling in complete darkness, crossfaded with him continuing cycling during daytime, which cuts to woman in an apartment reading a book of sorts which seems to be about sewing. The woman also has mice or some such rodents in a cage, throws the book on the table next to the cage, as she just has randomly felt the sudden urge to widen her eyes in what looks like some kind of a moment of bewilderment, walks to the window, and it's suggested that uh, she'd see the cyclist there as she gives this surprised look once again, condemning look even. It's like the shots are in the wrong order. We get her reaction first, which is followed by the cyclist falling on the bike on the pavement threshold. It looks like the cyclist falls entirely with purpose. Woman runs to the street and simply keeps kissing this man. This bicycle scene, this is a reproduction of a painting by Vermeer. And Dali was a great admirer of this painter. She now takes the man's box upstairs and in it she finds a tie. And she puts the tie on the bed on top of a dress. Then the tie then wraps itself around a shirt on the bed as she is observing the bed from a distance. It's almost like she makes the tie teleport around the shirt with her mind powers. The man scene. The man, the man from the street, now suddenly teleports to the apartment, as far as we know. So never mind that tie. And he's quite intrigued by a hole in his hand, from which the ants are crawling up around his palm. Finally, she gets close to him and he shifts her attention finally to her and keeps staring at her in a pretty hilarious fashion. We're shown a woman's hairy armpit. Then we shift to some kind of a hairy-looking ball or creature on sand. I, I'm guessing that's a sea urchin. I see. Thank you. Uh, at least we have some animal experts on this podcast. <laughs> in, 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 in more ways than one. That hairy-looking ball, whatever sea urchin, is crossfaded to a god's eye view, where a person is poking a severed hand with a stick. Then we get a widened scope of what is happening, and the young guy 
or a girl, we don't really know at this point, is in the middle of some kind of a town square, or that's the interpretation that I got, standing there and just poking the hand with a stick while police is trying to keep the curious crowd away from this person. And in the severed hand close-up, though, it seems that the hand would be on a mattress or something such. We see the man and the woman from the flat overlooking from the balcony window, and the man seems to be joyful about this. And the police chief talks something to the person and puts the hand in the box that we just saw the woman carry into her flat. And now from a bird's eye view, we see the police are kind of saluting this person and leaves her with the box and disperses the crowd. The man in the window just keeps staring at the lady on the street, or what I believe was a lady, <laughs> looking like he's hoping for her to be run over by a car. Uh, the following cuts here don't make sense, really. In the close-up, she holds the box in her hands, and in the full shot, the box is on the ground, and then again, it's in her hand, and then far away from her on the ground. This might have been intentional or unintentional, probably intentional. The car finally runs her over. But never mind that, because it's time for some groping. Because the guy in the flat is having this intense look in his eye, this perverted this kind of lust, and starts suddenly breast-groping this woman in the apartment. And it's cross-cut to her being naked while the groping continues. And it looks like there's some kind of a Dracula shit going on, there's blood dripping from the guy's mouth while he looks to be in some sort of a trance, while goo is dropping from his face, as the breasts are then cross-cut with the groping of her ass. <sighs> And the woman now runs away into a corner. And next point of interest for our listeners is donkeys on a piano. Dead donkeys, mind you. The guy then grabs two ropes from the floor. And he can't, for his surprise, pull them forward easily because the ropes are indeed attached to two pianos with donkeys on top of them. So he keeps pulling them like it would be his usual exercise routine at the gym. I don't know. And the donkey faces are mutilated. There are two guys attached to the rope, and they look shocked. Also some kind of a religious members. I'm, I'm taking that they are supposed to be abbots or priests. And these two people change, and change places in between cuts. This rotting donkey thing, this is a suggested thematic reference to Federico Garcia Lorsas. I probably pronounced it absolutely incorrectly. And to other writers of those times, the rotting donkeys uh, are a reference to the popular children's novel Platero y yo by Juan Ramón Jiménez. And Buñuel and Dali hated this guy. The woman runs to the door then and escapes as the guy runs after her, but gets his right hand between the door as she keeps pushing the door shut. And now we see that once again the hand has the ants. Never mind that, though, because it's time for this guy to teleport on the bed, which apparently is not anymore in this original room, but it's in this other room now, the bed and the guy. And he also has the severed arm box around his neck again. About the 3 o'clock in the morning, the title card says in this here, in this moment, and the man runs to ring a doorbell of the apartment, a new man. Is introduced. Somebody's shaking a drink or maybe even an ash urn. 
and the, his arms are extended through two holes in a wall. Yeah, that's that's a cocktail shaker, which I, I'm guessing is a visualization of the, of a doorbell. I see. The guy on the bed notices this. She opens the door for the gentleman and gets scolded for something as the guy crashes in and throws some of uh, the guy's clothes onto the street, this guy who was laying on the bed. Yeah, more, more precisely, he, he throws the nun's abbot to the street. <clears throat> right, so already getting to Buñuel's religious statements, I suppose. Or, or, or no statements at all, in, in no, no way or sense. Well, that was the intention, I guess, most of all. Looks like the gentleman asks the man to put his head against the wall, so he does. Cut to 16 years before, says the title card. But in the movie's world, it doesn't seem like we have changed into any kind of a previous event or anything. We're just continuing on from where we just left. The gentleman then finds, to his surprise, some books on a table, and these are covered in sand. So there's a lot of beach references here, sprinkled all around. The guy still is holding his head against the wall, and the gentleman hands a book from the table to the man leaning against the wall. We realize that these two guys are the same guy, at least face-wise. And the leaning guy appears to have two books on his hands all of a sudden. And these two books suddenly turn into two revolvers. And so the leaning guy shoots his doppelganger. And the doppelganger falls on his knees as he dies. Simultaneously he though teleports into a forest. And now leaning against the back of a topless woman. The guy dies in the forest while the woman fades away from this image, as four gentlemen find the body. One of them runs to get two other guys to the scene, possibly to inform of what's happened, and they seem to be not even taken aback or confused or surprised at all. But they're coming, and the people carry the body in a way of complete indifference. Like, take this guy away from my land. Fade to black as they carry the body, but it's back to flat as the woman sees a butterfly on the wall. The butterfly seems to have a pattern on it that looks like a human skull. And now the guy apparently teleports into the room, or we become aware that he is there. He suddenly puts his hand on his mouth, moves hand away, and his mouth has disappeared. And as a response, the, the woman starts to put on some lipstick on herself. Or something. And now the mouthless mouth turns into the woman's armpit hair. And as a reaction, she drops her lipstick and is shocked. Essentially, this woman is there to be shocked at given situations when things don't make sense. But not always. But she realizes that her armpit hair is gone because the, her armpit hair has teleported into the place of the guy's mouth. She shows him her tongue and leaves the room with a smile on her face. But as she gets out of the room, she realizes, or kind of seems to know, that she is now on a beach, of course. So something that is important to note here is that at this point of the film, uh, previously in the movie we have gotten title cards which have stated what timeline we are currently following, eight years later, 16 years earlier. But during this final moment, uh, we haven't gotten a new title card anyway, implying us that the timeline would have shifted so for all thoughts and purposes we are still following that 16 years earlier narrative true 
Makes perfect sense. There's some other guy in there in a striped shirt on the beach. And a woman happily runs to him. He shows her his wristwatch for the time, I guess. <laughs> the man seems to be uninterested in her first or has switched to a different channel altogether. She anyway kisses him, then gets uh, the attention of the guy as they walk away. Looks like the box has been trashed on the beach rocks, which held the severed hand, uh, along with some clothes, apparently. I suppose the non-clothes. The guy kicks the box, and the woman hands to him one by one the clothes articles as he then throws them away again, one by one. Then we get a title card in spring. And here we have something that would have been a nice ending. A boy and a girl walk away from the camera in the beach, hand in hand. And, but that turns into their death, actually. Because it looks like the guy and the girl are now half under sand. And they look dead, like some kind of a stuffed animals with some items on them or around them. Hard to tell what those are. Ending was supposed to be a bit different, but for budgetary reasons it was changed to what it is now. In the original script, the final shot was to feature corpses of the man and woman consumed by swarms of flies. But this special effect was modified due to these limitations in budget. So that's essentially is the film as it, as it, as it proceeds. So how about you, Gary? Would you recommend an Andalusian dog? Yes, I would recommend an Andalusian dog. Just for, for the sheer experiment that you see. I wouldn't say that I would make it as a habit to watch these type of surrealist avant-garde films. But as an experiment, it's interesting. But I think any sane person would go f- full-on Salvador Dali if they would keep on watching this shit every day. <laughs> Most likely. I too, on my end, I, I would recommend an Andalusian dog. However, that recommendation comes with the caveat that I'm not entirely certain that if you actually watch the film, you are going to like it. This might be one of those one of those rare occasions where I I do kind of say, please go and check out the film, even though I'm pretty sure that that you are gonna hate my guts after you've seen it. But all around. I, I do feel that when it comes to the dreamlike element and the dreamlike storytelling, which is something that many directors have tried to do and have tried to tap into, like, for, for example, take a look at Dario Argento and essentially most of the Giallo genre on, on that record. Uh, I do Lynch. feel that David Lynch also, but un, unlike most of the Giallos, David Lynch actually manages to pull this shit off. And I also feel that an Andalusian dog is is a case study on how you can actually make dream logic work for your film and build a film around that. In in my opinion, the typical mistake that is done whenever a film tries to apply dream logic into its narrative is that it doesn't go far enough. Like it, it, it messes up with some things as as the dreams tend to do, but it's still kind of a too limited and and too normally constructed to work as a dream. And because of that, I I do feel that 
there, there are two ways how, how you can kind of a, have, a, have dreams as an element in your films and make it work. The first one is, is kind of a, is the inception route where, where, where you use dreams as a plot point, but you don't ever really try to have a dream elements in your film in the way that they would affect and the structure of the movie. Like Inception in, in the end, it's very, very typical three-act structure heist thriller film where just the dreams mean that every now and, sin, every now and then some crazy shit happens. 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 And the other route where how you can use dreams in in favor of your film is is the David Lynch and Andalusian Dog method, where you really start to reshape the construct of your film in favor of of the dream likeness and and the dream like qualities and. The reason why so many films fail in this is that they kind of try to have it in both ways. They try to have a typical film, but still insert quote-unquote strangeness, because dreamlike. And that's where, where the things go to shit show. So on that regard, I would, I would say, please go and check out An Andalusian Dog. But, like, there, there's an extremely heavy possibility that after you've seen it, you don't feel that you have gotten much out of it or you have experienced a film that you would have liked to experience because the film doesn't make rats ass of a sense. The common problem with dream sequences in films is that they still try to ape reality too much, especially if you're a lazy director, of course. But in most cases, it is too real. Like they should be playing more with the, the elements, the whole structure of what you see, maybe have like a limited vision, not having the, the full scope of vision that you see everything in a room or in a space that you, that you inhabit. And just because everything is, gets distorted in a dream and they rarely make sense. Yeah. Yeah. Like, like to give you a kind of a case example of, of this problem, even though I, I did like the movie. I too have to admit that, for example, Rob Zombie's Halloween 2, which has a dream sequence, in the, in the, the hospital dream sequence, it suffers from, from this particular problem. It, it is a dream sequence where there, there are weird shit like the pile of bodies in the dumpster, but everything else in the hospital works as it would in real life. There are just mm. few instances where the, the film takes some kind of a liberty from what would really happen in real world because dreamlike. But once again, those are also instances that could actually exist in the reality of the film's universe. Like that pile of bodies could be there in, in film's reality because Michael Myers. If anything worked in that dream sequence... In itself, it was maybe the the inexorable approach of the character that there was a certain hopelessness that that, that I often have chase dreams and and that that was an inexorable way that you couldn't escape this character who keeps chasing you no matter what. I I I on my end I I did like the visuals I did like the feeling that that sequence had but even even I have to admit that that didn't really work as a simulation of a dream. 
Well, aside from talking about Rob Zombie movies, uh, doing an uh, Andalou episode, what was your favorite shot? I actually, I'm gonna skip the question. I don't have a favorite shot in, in the film. There are shots that I like, there are shots that I felt were not that remarkable that they would stand out from all, all the other shots. Like, I, I had shots and I had shots that somehow were remarkable when compared to other shots of the film, but I don't have, like, like one big favorite. Yeah, if I would have to pick something, then there is, of course, the iconic shot just before the the eye has been cut into, and you see this uh, close-up of the woman just before the slicing. But uh, it's more like the, the experience itself and how these pictures maybe feel together. Do we want to talk about Salvador Dali? I, I, well, if, if we are going to talk about something, I, I guess we the only thing we can talk about is, is Salvador Dali. Like, to, to our dear listeners who might be at this point wondering what the fuck is going on and wh- why the structure of the episode is all over the place, wh- why nothing makes makes sense to you and wh- why this the entire episode frankly feels like Gary got artistically carried away in the editing booth. The reason is that Ancient Andalou is a film that has on purpose been constructed in a way that it doesn't carry essentially anything within it like there, there there is there is no symbolism there there is no message there are no real themes they and and the creators of the film most notably the director has gone on record to state this out making it perfectly clear that it is possible that that as an audience member you might read into something in, in to this film you may might read that there is a symbolism in 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 some of these scenes you might read that there is some kind of inner inner meaning in in what the film shows to you but all of that according to the makers is purely inside your own head and it's just a symptom of you being well essentially too dumb for the film and because of that we can't really give you the typical the flick lap experience here and and dwell deep in into scenes and and think what does it mean because it doesn't fucking mean anything and that's also why we really can't cover the quickies because essentially the quickies would also be a tool for us to insert a narrative framework or a structural framework around and into the film. And once again, the film denounces all and every framework. So you can't really do anything. There's there's nothing that you can talk about. If, if you talk about the film in, in some depth, in that case, you are doing it wrong and you are stupid ass. Which is the reason, I guess, why most people never actually... No. No, Analyze. No, 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 no. Once I was at my summer house and I had an anteater steak, there was a golden gate circled on a pizza and in an assiduous apropos, structural violence involving an orbit of white framework inside a tablet while I was drinking on the Uraska airport, sipping on a wine. Well, that was poetic. Apropos. Yes, I, 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 that was an impression of 
my best impression of Salvador Dali and this film, where nothing makes sense. Maybe close, close, close enough. That that could be the official review of the film. I had a steak. <laughs> Was yummy. Or or even that would be kind of a too clear. There would be too much construction and too much narrative in in that sentence. Dali indeed was a surrealist, joined the surrealist group in 1929, was kicked out of the surrealist club after he apologized for one controversial art installment, but he was unfazed and claimed he himself is surrealism. And he always had this very pompous, high sense of himself, and of course the wonderful mustache. Uh, yeah, that that he did, and that's all all the great qualities that you can actually get with with loving and proper caring when when you are growing up from your parents, as as poor Salvador did. <laughs> yeah, yeah. There is of course a lot we could talk about Salvador Dali, but essentially a world-renowned painter who might be just responsible for the most famous painting of them all. The Persistence of Memory, his most famous work, where the clocks seem to be melting outside. Buñuel, his buddy from Salvador Dali's school years, is, uh, is quite a character himself as well. There was a bit of a Napoleon schism. Buñuel, somewhat uh, derisively, he refused to be a part of the team making the film Napoleon, this... Uh, Abel Gonzalez's famous silent film, and his colleague Epstein dismissed Buñuel angrily, famously saying, quote, How can a little asshole like you dare to talk that way about a great director like Gons? You seem rather surrealist. Beware of surrealists. They are crazy people. End quote. Which was kind of the the common consensus during during the times. I mean, surrealists were not that highly regarded in in society or even in art circles until some of them really started to break through. One of those cases being, for example, Salvador Dali, who made surrealism more accepted. But for for the longest time, the surrealism and the art move that that preceded sur- surrealism, Dadaism, were kind of seen as well trite and undeserving the notion of being art. When it comes to this film here, it was Punuel's intention to shock and insult the intellectual bourgeoisie of his youth. Later, he said that. Quote, historically this film represents a violent reaction against what at that time was called avant-garde cine, which was directed exclusively to the artistic sensibility and to the reason of the spectator. He also said, quote, what can I do about the people who adore all that is new, even when it goes against their deepest convictions, or about the insincere, corrupt press and the inane herd that saw beauty or poetry in something which was basically no more than a desperate, impassioned call for murder, end quote. This last one he said after the film was shown for the first times, and it seemed that it was accepted in the artistic circles. To his great surprise and annoyance. Yeah, I I guess it, it, it's hard to be be absolutely certain why was the film in the end 
accepted. It, it might be that, that what kind of a bite him in the ass was that he should have stayed with, or, or he should have chosen Dadaism. Since b- both of them kind of share the, the, the same anar- anarchistic qualities and, and the same kind of a temptation to fuck with the bourgeoisie, the biggest kind of a divination, at least in my opinion, between the two art movement movements being that that surrealism placed a much heavier emphasis on psychological matters and more specifically to subconsciousness, where Dadaism disregarded even psychology and and subconsciousness, and so also those as a as a form of artistic confinement. It's an interesting experiment, an adventure into the the lusty libidinous mind of human psyche, those animalistic behaviors all coming to the surface on this film. It's more than likely impossible to do what they are exactly talking about when coming to direct or create this film. As they were saying that when they were creating the the script, it was just something that kept flowing out of their mind as they were writing it. Of course, there are always some realities that hit. For example, when it comes to the last shot of the film, there were budgetary reasons that they couldn't put what they wanted on the film exactly, at least according to the uh, the, the first thoughts. They couldn't proceed with that first thought. But in many ways, I think there is a lot of animalistic behavior that you can see all the kind of the darkest secrets that we think about in certain moments that we never come to speak to anyone about. Everybody has situations where you might have the sudden urge to go grope some girl's titties or or you would have weird visions, at least in your dreams, where you see a character and then your mind does tricks to this character. You want to play with the character. You, You can do whatever you want as the dream master, so to speak. You can have these dreams where you are in full control and you can hurt people and see the end result. And as these are this hurting people, killing people, groping people, all of these are things that are not societally accepted. And it's something that the it's always something that us is denied from us is that the mind wants to play with. Hey guys. Oh hey. <laughs> Hello? Alright, can you hear me, bud? Yeah. Good. Uh all right, so uh, are we just doing this, you know, uh, just us, or is your friend joining in, or... Henrik is here, I think, still. Okay, I don't think I hear him. Henrik, are you here? Okay, what the fuck is going on? What's up, come on. Hey, uh, did you fix the problem? I think so. Okay, Lee, great to have you back here. Thank you for having me. Good to see you again as well. Would be great to go have some fun once again yeah. in the Warsaw night. True. But apart from that, we have a little bit of a film called Time to Hunt here. And we were happy to get you back here to talk about your experience with the film from the South Korean perspective. How was it for you as an experience? Mm. As a Korean person, yeah. Um, very interesting, very interesting. Like, I love the setting, uh, the, you know, the dystopian setting. But I think it got a little boring after uh, the middle point. Okay, that's right. that's it for the day. So, so uh, yeah, yes, <laughs> sure. Yeah, I guess. All right. Well, thanks a lot for 
tuning in and helping us out in this little session. No problem. Mr. Lee. By the way, since we are doing this Anshan Andalou episode and nothing makes sense in this film, <laughs> are, are, you, are you aware of surrealist <laughs> cinema, Mr. Lee? Surrealistic. Uh, please do enlighten me. Uh, well, well Kari, Kari can drop you a YouTube link. It's 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 <laughs> only it's it's only like like seventeen or twenty five uh, twenty one minutes of your life. You you can check the mm, film yourself. Twenty one minutes. Okay. And and you know then you can just jump yeah. into this next conversation because <laughs> f- fuck n- nothing makes sense in this episode. Well, essentially, the film is like a collection of random shots where things happen that don't make any goddamn sense. For example, there's a guy who is pulling pianos, Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. and on top of the pianos you have donkeys. One second. Did you guys watch this this, um, um, series on HBO Go? It's called... um, It's a Polish Polish series. It's called um, Blinded by the Light. No. No. All right. You should. Uh, you should. It's really good. Uh, one of the best Polish series ever, I think. Whoa. I was quite impressed. Uh, but yeah, uh, I could drop you some link because they have some uh, this very surreal uh, scenes that you're talking about, like which does not make any sense, you know. Okay. Anyway, my my idea was that uh, since you haven't seen the movie Anshan Andalou, you would be our prime yeah. target to be in this podcast. You being a South Korean and all, and the film having nothing to do with South Korea, <laughs> so. Without seeing the actual film, okay. what what are your thoughts on this on this film that doesn't make any sense? <laughs> well, it doesn't make any sense. First of all, it doesn't make any sense, I guess. <laughs> yeah. What did you feel about the donkeys yeah. that had their eyes gouged out and the sexual harassment of the lady? <laughs> Maybe it's a uh, uh, expression of of the director you know towards the uh, the contemporary society the modern society the problems in politics <laughs> i i i I, I, I hate to break this silly but it's it's not it's not maybe maybe he wasn't thinking yeah <laughs> nobody knows but maybe the, the director it meaning, like it, it makes it surreal because we're trying to make uh, give meaning to it you know precisely yeah. precisely that's the main point of of the film there is no yeah. meaning and we are goddamn buffoons because we try to give it a meaning mm. <laughs> exactly am i really it's a big prank you know it, it is it is it, <laughs> it, it, it essentially and and an andalusian dog whatever was was the original ne- title it Unshandalous. yeah precisely today's film ashley just pointed out what it essentially is it is it is four chance shit posting as a film it's a film version of trolling. <laughs> yeah. Essentially. Yeah, well, uh, what made you choose such movie that does not make any sense? It seems like you have no clue. <laughs> we, we, we don't. We don't. <laughs> of how to review the movie. This is uh, some yeah. kind of a sadistic idea of the film schools of having a great time in class. Because this mm. is something that is uh, mandatory for many film schools. To watch yeah so so we too try to double it right did you go to film school well film school and film school i did study audiovisual communication and uh, and, and specialized sort of kind of in camera work so in studio so mm-hmm. that's my credentials mm. so you're a proficient in um maybe video shooting or yeah yeah mm. very impressive still impressive yeah super impressive 
but Henrik is going to be the master of arts. Really? Yeah, I, I myself, I'm, I'm specializing in, in video and audio, mm. like mm, audio art good. and and filmmaking, es- essentially. But my entire degree will be a master of arts, which is the the sole reason, I guess, why I actually do understand what what is modernism and postmodern art, and what is Dadaism, right. and what what is a surrealist art movement, and can give. Give a short lecture about the subject matter. You know, uh, that title, uh, yeah, that title really holds some sort of authority. Master of art, master of art. Yeah. So essentially, when you have the papers in your hand and you have graduated, you can explain to everybody what Anshandalu doesn't mean. <laughs> Pretty much, yeah. Like that. That is the whole whole reason I'm actually doing my my current my current education, my current studies. I'm studying just so that I can I can go with with my doctor's papers and and make the case that an unchanged an Andalusian dog because goddamn I can't pronounce the name doesn't actually mean anything. All right then, um, Lee, do you have any yeah. dreams that you would like to share us in the fashion of Andalu? To yeah, well, okay, yeah, let's not do this, Henrik. I've never watched the film, mate. <laughs> uh, let, let, let's not do what. <laughs> What, what, what? Cut, cut Lee in Let- the episode. No, we, we most definitely, by God, we are, we are actually going to add Lee into an Andalusian dog episode. If Lee gives us his permission. Okay, so fine then. Lee, have you seen any groping <laughs> dreams? <laughs> nah, never watched it, never watched it. <laughs> it, it, it it's, it's, it's a no problem. It, it, it's another problem with this film mm-hmm. and this with this episode. Like the more clusterfuck the whole thing is, it just the better. The better, absolutely. Yeah. I'm just here to um, watch you guys review this surreal um, donkey eye scousing out movie. It seems very interesting, so please do go on. Sure, why not? All right, Henrik, where are we? As far as we can be anywhere in this episode, we quickly dealt with the background of of Dali, I guess. Do you have uh, Lee? Maybe the window open or something, or is it somebody uh, screwing around? Somebody is molesting an elephant at the background. Oh, okay. Well, I cannot do anything here. I guess. Can you make it yeah, less stopped. noisy, or oh, maybe it stopped. <laughs> okay. Let us let, just keep it. Mm. It's a it's yeah. a background ambience, and it might actually help the end product. True. True. Yeah. So Dali wrote it, and Buñuel directed it. What else do you want me mm. to say? Two crazy guys came together and they were planning for a sequel for this film together, but they had some creative differences and Buñuel went on his own way and did it by himself. It ballooned into an over an hour film and this so-called sequel, uh, what the fuck was the name, Henrik? It it was something, something. Lash Door, the golden age. So Dali and Buñuel had a falling out. Because Buñuel has some strong leftist sympathies, and he desired a deliberate uh, undermining of all the bourgeois institutions, while Dali wasn't too into it because he was into this uh, Spanish fascist uh, Francisco Franco, and into all kinds of aristocracy circles. So Buñuel did it by himself, and it was heavily a beast that clearly criticized the uh, the church, uh, was it? What, which church was it, Henrik Kurva? Uh, everyone still here? Yep. 
Except Lee. Okay. Did, did we lose Lee just? I think, yeah. Yeah. Well, God, guys. <laughs> well, well it fits into this episode. It, 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 it fits into the episode. If if the episode makes no goddamn sense, it's okay because neither did the film. <laughs> so it was heavily critical of the church. It didn't take much time at all until the film was completely banned for 17 years. I'm really not feeling to, to lecturing about the history regarding this film and the characters <laughs> because <laughs> I'm not a fucking expert on this film on any, in, in any way. But there you go. We can also add that the Script was written in six days, and uh, apparently Salvador Dali is a fuckwit, if you believe the internet. Yeah, yeah, to, 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 a, to a degree, yeah. At the same time, Salvador Dali also, he, he was a deeply problematic character. There was a, a lot of kind of baggage that, that Salvador Dali had to carry throughout his life, which might have really played part in, in well how how Dali operated in his later years. I mean, when when the guy was young, for Christ's sake, his his own parents made him believe that he was the reincarnation of his dead brother. Oh god. That that had that... died like nine months before Dali was born. And and Dali well, Dali, Dali was was a was a fucking toddler, so of course he goddamn bought it. And believed that, yeah, so he was. And also, Dali's father was a borderline abusive. So, you know, the, the dude went a bit crazy from the head. Big shocker there. Yeah. He still was extremely important and and groundbreaking on the on the art scene, I would say. Like, I, I would make, almost make the case that, that surrealism never would have breaking the ground that it did had it not been Salvador Dali, because Salvador Dali became kind, kind of the, the face for surrealism. He, he was even in the cover of Time magazine, and that was one of the biggest endorsements that the surrealist art movement got maybe ever. So on, on that regard, yeah, yeah, there, there's a lot to complain in regards to, to Dali. But he also was, like mentioned, he, he was a troubled person and he also was instrumental in, in shaping the art scene. Like, without Dali, it could be that, that surrealism never would have gotten the admir admiration that it has today. Yeah, regarding the psychological uh, sides of this individual sort of kind of scenes... By maybe the main thematic that is driving them, because there are some of those after all. For example, in the first scene, you have the, I would say, the fear of sharp objects being used, and maybe the perverse fascination of what would happen if you would do some harm with those said sharp objects, as we see when the calf's eye is cut in half. And in the scene two, you have different kind of fears. You have the fear of rodents, Possibly, you have the fear of death or injuries as the biker hits the ground. And the pleasures of sex or the pleasure of kissing someone. On the street, just like that, because you are infatuated by somebody. Perhaps that's, that's, that's kind of what, what you do in dreams. If you might be interested in someone, 
if you feel in the dream that you are in control, you might go to a person and then just do all those naughty things that you have planned planned in your head without thinking too much about the consequences. Yeah, and like you pointed out, there is also an aspect of sadist tendencies mm. when it comes to how the characters behave in the film. The filmmakers themselves, they made it perfectly clear that, that the only way how you can actually are allowed to try to break down the film is by taking a, psych- uh, a psychological viewpoint of the film and trying to kind of build a psychological profile of, of the creators. Do and you like the cheese cabanos of Finland, Henrik? No, no. God damn it. Like, like, I, 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 I would. I would if I would be a vegetarian. <laughs> Glad that we cleared that up. Okay, so you were saying... I I was saying that I myself I'm not in any way deep enough in in psychiatric profession to actually start to build any kind of a profile about uh, about the filmmakers and be- because of this I'm really hesitant to actually try to try to de- decipher from the film what they are afraid of and what they want and and essentially what is the form of their subconsciousness This is, of course, me just guessing, but I see a lot of possible fears that you would often try to break down in your dreams. I do once in a while when it comes to sharp objects or people chasing me or or sudden violent moments where somebody's trying to shoot me, which is what happens. There's the sudden unexpected changes in space or the changes of characters and there's animals and ants and bodily mutilation. If you ever get to, in any future connected by a computer into my dreams, that's probably what you would see. Yeah, it's it's. I I'm once again I'm I'm hesitant to to make a statement here because that's not my experience. So I can't really talk about my dreams or or through my three dreams and try to say what 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 perhaps what what dreams are in the film yeah but there there i'm just saying that this is probably what could be going on or where this might be coming from some of these dream like moments like uh, the break of social constructs such as the dream like leveling and or the surviving people with power for example the police understands that you have something that is socially not acceptable that you have a severed hand in a box or or you're trying to play with the severed hand on, on the ground then again at at times like like not not when you are trying to play with severed a severed hand on on the ground that that's not going to be acceptable but playing with severed hands depending on occasion it actually can be acceptable. It can even be admired of all goddamn things. Oh, yeah. Like, like t- take that hand and put it in, in a me- into a medical school. Like, to, to play, with, play with the whole dream thing and, and the mental images. We, we all have, have the image of the Victorian medical lecture hall. Where, where there they are rows of seats, they go in in a circular fashion. There are there are circle on top of sh- after circle, kind of a ra- rising upwards. 
And in the middle of all those circles, on the ground level, there, there is the professor who has a fresh cadaver or a severed hand or that there's a there's someone who has a massive injury and and then there's that stone-faced doctor the practitioner who cuts the person open and you know pulls out his entrails and he does this completely stone-faced he's not faced with it at all and he's been surrounded by these young medical students who all are scribbling their notes looking looking at it in kind of a fascination but also keeping that stone face on and that's that's something which is completely okay at at or... least in in the realm of of film and overall you know playing with dead bodies is completely okay if you do it in med school or in some cultures, if you have done something that you perceive as being shameful societally, you would actually get some points for, at least you would feel that you would get some social acceptance if you would uh, severe your own hand after doing something unacceptable. Yeah, I mean, yeah, goddamn Yakuza operates on, on this principle. You, you have to mm. cut off your, the, your fingertips if you fuck up and in in the worst case scenarios you even even have to end your own life by your own hand that's something that well as as we kind of already about this in merry christmas mr lawrence episode is something that kind of permeates in in japanese culture this self-harm if you fuck up aspect but what I essentially got from this police scene is that, at least in my scenes, I have moments where the choices that I have made are wrong, or societally seen as wrong. I might have done something horrible, and I expect that the policeman that is now standing in front of me is going to put me into cuffs or even kill me at that point. But in some dreams, it doesn't work that way, because you never get to die in your dreams, right? I don't think I've ever di died in any of my dreams. I always survive in some way. Or I respawn. And sometimes it works in this way that I don't even need to respawn. But the response that I'm expecting from, for example, a police officer, it doesn't happen at all. It would be something like, okay, I have a severed head here. And the police would just pat me on the back like, good job, continue. Nyt meni linja nollaksi, ootko vielä siinä? Okei, kuuluuko nyt? Joo. Okei, okay, jees. Meikäläisellä rodentrapäälinen tarpeessa pakkaamaan. Yeah, once again, that's something that I can't really comment on. Because I don't really have that much experiences with, with dreams. Yeah, it's uh, some people, some experts are recommending that you keep... Uh, dream diary to better understand all these problems that you might have. In the donkey scene we have once again a case of death and maybe some kind of a chase that you would experience in a dream as the guy is getting horny. Teleportation powers once again and weird order of things 16 years before. Which scene made you feel the most nauseated if any? Uh, for me there really was no such scene which 
Actually, might mean please send mental help ASAP. <laughs> but <laughs> I, I, I don't know why, because there was obviously a number number of scenes that were meant to to cause discomfort and discomfort in the viewer and and have a shock effect and for some reason even even the most famous of them which would be the the splitting of the eye didn't really have um, any effect on me like i i was unfazed when that happened you heartless brute i i might be like... i'm Garry. i studied media he's henrik studies to be a master of arts yeah God welcome damn. to the Flick Lab. W- w- welcome to the Flick Lab. The podcast that makes no goddamn sense in any way. This is what the show is about, and let's get right into it. Yeah, it was a very special experience. <laughs> what the fuck am I supposed to say here? <laughs> I've been wondering it for like 90 minutes now. Um, yeah, well, you know, the, 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 the kind of a saving grace of the situation is that by default, that the podcast is so rambly and so ill-conceived, constructually wise, that I'm guessing our audiences will actually like notice any difference between this and any other episode that we have done. They already have tuned out and they, they are like, we, we, we gave our recommendations to the film and that's, that's the point when they all stopped listening and now they are just thinking that, well, thank God it was short. Oh, this Janne Juoksetus. What the hell does it matter? Welcome, Janne, to the episode. <laughs> Great to have you here after a cigarette break. Sano vielä, että saat saakeisiko Jannelta kuuten. Sorry? Mitä? Sano vielä, että saat Jannelta kuuten tähän sotkuun. Kuitin? Kuuten. Että se sanoi Janne, Janne. I have a sudden urge to get Janne in this room. Just a moment. Ui, <laughs> My studio. Sattuko. Oh, there is Janne. Janne. What did you think of Ancient the Loop? Is it a good film, Janne? <laughs> want want to share us this information? It doesn't matter. It's a surrealist film. <laughs> There you go. It's okay. <laughs> okay. Perfectly normal day. <laughs> Why did we choose this film now? <laughs> I <laughs> I guess because we are fucking desperate. <laughs> so yeah, we started 
to do these uh, short films. <laughs> it was a it, it it was a horrible mistake, and we we should never <laughs> never try it. Like the the thing that is coming painfully obvious here, at least in this big huge name short films, is that it's no it's not so much about the scene by scene analysis. It's more about what surrounds the film, especially true in this case. Especially in, in, in the case of this movie. Yeah, so we get our marbles completely messed up. What's your history with this film? I've Eric? seen this film, unfortunately, only once in, in, in my lifetime. And it was kind of those mandatory viewings. Like, I, I, I surprise, surprise, I've heard so much about this film. Basically, everyone, every now and then, brings the film up. So at some point, I just checked it out to finally see the movie and to say that uh, I've seen it. I watched it for the first time, and I it didn't actually have any impression on me. Like I, I, I watched it, and then I was like, okay, now I've seen it. It was like that. And yeah. never actually thought about it properly. I didn't even, you know, think about it when I originally saw it in, in the framework of what can I say and what type of film this is. I, I got kind of, I, I just was like blank and just looking at the movie because, because I, I did it out of obligation towards myself. And now when I'm revisiting the movie, watching it for the second time in, in my miserable life, which means that I'm a bad, bad film buff, I all of a sudden realize that I'm like completely out of my league and there's nothing I can really talk about with the, with this particular movie. How do you feel? <laughs> like, how, how do you feel very awkward now, Henrik? Do you feel that we will be the target of Kalle Kinnunen's film criticism? <laughs> Next. A Finnish film critic who has, uh, let's say, a very Finnish spirit. Uh, <laughs> most likely, Karla Kirtner will tell us how we know nothing about movies, which is absolutely true, and Kalle is correct. What? This, this, is, this is a horrible joke, the entire podcast, and we are, we are buffoons when we even attempt to do a goddamn film podcast but it it i i do maintain i do maintain it would have been even more worse if we would have actually tried to make an honest to god analysis of the film and try to make some kind of a deep dive into what is the symbolism of the film and what what it uh, means like nah. like Fuck that! In that case, it it wouldn't just be Kalle Kinnunen putting us on on our places. It would have been Kalle Kinnunen driving over us with a goddamn dumpster truck. Then you know, dumping all the nuclear waste that he has in his dumpster truck on top of our rotting corpses, and then just letting the whole pile on fire, and then telling us that we don't know what the fuck we are doing. I don't care if it's Kalle Kinnunen or Quentin Tarantino, whoever fucking claims that the best film to come out of the 2010s is the social network needs a beating on Twitter. <laughs> actually, 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 I'm more with Kalle than I'm with you here. I, I don't, wow. I, I don't agree with, with wow. Tarantino. I, I don't agree with Kalle Kinnunen. It, so, the, the social network is not the best film of the decade. It, it's not that good, but it's still pretty damn good. That's more honest. 
Okay, would it be time for the quickies? <laughs> no, I'm I'm skipping the quickies. You you, you can do the quickies and Kalle Kinnonen can <laughs> let you have it. <laughs> yeah, no, I'm not going to do them either. I guess this is a good point to stop this episode. <laughs> <laughs> Janne can do the fucking, fucking quickies for us. <laughs> oh, the guy is too shy, unfortunately. <laughs> We, we, to today, we have had the best guests of the entire podcast. Mm. Like, uh, th- this, this here, this is, this is top-notch film reporting. <laughs> I'm just giving the, 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 the friendly treatment to this film that it gave to me. <laughs> the, 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 the best part, the best part of this whole, whole charade is... We we haven't we haven't explained Dadaism. We haven't explained surrealism, and we haven't explained the history of of fucking filmmakers, like 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 the the, the personal background of of Salvador Dali or any of that nonsense, which is we which would have been the most logical take you could have actually done on this episode. Like tr- tr- try to buy yourself more minutes by by talking about what what is Dada and what what is surrealism. And what are all these different art movements that that exist in in real world? Why is nobody bringing up dandyism, like exploring why and how Salvador Dali is such of a self-centered cockwit? <laughs> well, that 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 would actually require us to to, to dive deep into Salvador Salvador Dali's personal history and background to try to find answers to the questions nobody ha- is asking. <laughs> How are you going to sp- spend your midsummer, Henrik? <laughs> I, I, I don't know. Mo- mo- most likely I, I will... I, I guess I'm, I'm going to fill my, my long-time dream. I'm going to travel into the ass end of Sweden to, to, <laughs> to meet a bunch of d- who will... Eventually, sue me inside of a rotting bear skin and and put me in a house and then then set the house on fire. I think uh, you have just put yourself into the wrong space. But there are some correct elements here: bonfire, summer houses. But don't teleport into the bonfire. <laughs> rotting rotting bear skins. <laughs> yeah, but okay. This was not fun at all. <laughs> uh, speak for yourself. I, I, I had a kind of a blast. <laughs> this is the dumbest thing we have done in, in the <laughs> history of this podcast. And in, like, in, in, a, in, a way, in a way, I kind of love it. <laughs> Quit pro quo. This kind of movie, this kind of episode. <laughs> this kind of an episode. Which, which which does actually re- remind me, Kari. Uh, mm? do, do, do you know that typically, like a male horse, like a, like a stallion, when 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 a stallion ejaculates, it discharges its load with a force of one hundred and twenty-five thousand cfs, which is the, uh, the the force of a stream as it shoots out of a fire hose, which means that. That's so much power that that if, if you would be sucking off off a stallion, the force of the ejaculation might actually slash your internal organs and cause tearing in your oesophagus or, or your windpipes, which is which is the sole reason why you actually shouldn't 
go and and give a horse a blowjob. The alcoholism is already destroying my esophagus. No, so no <laughs> don't need any exploding horses on my face. But did you know that Roberto Esquivel Cabrera, 54 years old, has a whopping 18.9 inches and weighing two pounds of a dick? <laughs> I didn't know that. God, it's almost a kilogram. What the fuck am fuck am I doing with my art degree when I didn't know that? <laughs> Jesus Christ! We, we 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 if we ever if we ever do do another porn episode, so actually ask that guy to to be our guest and just then spend the entire episode just talking and asking questions about his dick. But it's nothing unforeseeable in this product. So so what what's what's next? Do do we actually try to tackle with not Dadaism and cover Freddy Got Fingered from what was the dude's name? John Green, Stephen Green, Jack Black, something like that. Mm. Well it depends. Do you wanna check out Alien? Because Alien's release date has just happened. So we could celebrate the oh how much is it? <laughs> 41 years of alien reign. Well, shit, why not? Why not? A- alien, aliens sound pretty okay at this point. What I really want to do as our 99th episode, though, is the, the sprinkle sprinkle to bring this show to the ultimate moment of confusion and hardship. How to review this one as the probably most challenging short film that you can do even more challenging than <laughs> because, this one because we are doing such of a bang up job as as we speak at least that film has a beginning middle and an end so, <laughs> should, <laughs> so did this one none, none of it just happened to make any goddamn sense but it did have those fair enough yeah like, like come on Gary, we are not dealing with french new wave here uh, i will go sprinkle some sprinklation into the <laughs> Toilet, so <laughs> thanks for joining us. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Just, just remember to keep to keep on recording so that we, we don't miss anything from this uh, spectacle. Will do. Hyvä, hyvä. Hyvä kakku tuli. Voi <laughs> vittu, mikä sä oot. Voidaan ihan kusipäin, sitten me vielä jättää tämän saatana suomenkielisetkin kommentit tähän näin ihan loppuun, että ainoastaan suomenkieliset kuuntelijat ymmärtävät, että vittua me helistää kaiken päätteeksi. <laughs> no, minkä, minkä takia me alettiin tekemään englanniksi? Mä oon välillä miettinyt, että no joo, ehkä meillä olisi enemmän kuuntelijoita, jos me tehtäisiin tätä suomeksi. Tai sitten ihan vittuillakseen vaan, niin... Vedetään vaikka episode satasessa pari minuuttia suoraksi. <laughs> eikö, eikö mä aloitettu englanniksi sen takia, koska sä oit ollut niin kauan Puolassa, että sä koit, että englanti sujuu paremmin kuin suomi? No se oli yksi syy, mutta sitten kans se, että en mä halunnut jättää kavereita tuttuja tai oikein ketään tai ulkopuolelle. <laughs> <laughs> Siitäkö se on vittu kiitetty? <laughs> mä voin uskoa, että on ollut joulupöydässä hiljasta perheen kesken. <laughs> Ja, ja, joskus mä mietin, että miten suomalaiset ylipäänsä näkee tällaisen, että <laughs> kuinka moni jaksaa kuunnella tästä suom- kaksi suomalaista höpöttää englanniksi. Oma, oma pikkuveli ihan koitti, jakso viisi minuuttia ja keskeytti.
Oikeasti. Kyllä. Oh. Such devotion. Se on, se on ne verisiteet, ne, ne on tiukat. Ne, ne johtaa siihen, että ihmiset tekee uhrauksia joka päiväisessä elämässä. No, vielä ei ole myöhäistä päästä eroon niistä kuuntelijoista ja vaihtaa kieli kesken kaiken. Kukaan varmaan edes huomaisi, mitä tapahtuu. Se olisikö liian malopäille ihan oikein, vaan Mutta pidetään huoli siitä, että jaksojen nimet on kaikki englanniksi. Se hämää saa joko lisää kuuntelijoita ja sitten voi olla siitä, että mitä vittua tää on. Niin, tää oli tämmönen sadajakson Madventures Season 3 sellout moment ja sitten vaihdetaankin takaisin kotikieleen. <tos> Joo. Kylläpä kyllä. No ainakaan mulle ei tule mitään editointipaineita tästä jaksosta, että tämä voi olla ihan miten <tos> Joo, ei kyllä mitään. Voit, voit itse asiassa julkistaa sen vaan tällaisenä suoraan. Voidaan jättää lean. <tos> otat, otat vaan siis kopioit lean time to hunt kommentit. Ja liität ne siihen Time to Hunt-jaksoon, mutta jätet ne myös tähän. <laughs> se sillä. Voidaan vaihtaa leffaakin lentosta. Mä vaan ajattelin, että jotain leikkisää. Silläkin voisi tehdä. Kyllä. Kyllä. Meinasin vähän tota niinku editointirakennettakin sillä lailla muuttaa, että tunnarin voi tunkea jonnekin hevon perseeseen. Alot, aloittaa vaikka sillä lopputunnarilla. <laughs> Voidaan suuttaa avaustuntarin puolessa välissä jaksoa sillä <laughs> Welcome to Flink Lab. <laughs> Nimenomaan. Ka- kaista lapsi saa kerralla. <laughs> Siitäkö meitä sitten taas vaihteeksi YouTubessa kiitelläänkin? <laughs> Enskertalaiskuulijat voi olla <laughs> Mutta se sinällään kyllä sopisi tähän. Sopisi tähän jaksoon. Sopisi tähän leffaan. Joo. Antaa mennä vaan. No itse asiassa, itse asiassa, ihan oikeasti, ihan oikeasti, koska, mm. ko, koska surreal, surrealismin se pääidea oli se, että sun pitää koittaa niin kuin, niin kuin päästä mahdollisimman syvälle sun alitajuntaasi, ammentaa sieltä ja niin kuin alitajunnan kautta vetää tunteella ja lonkalla, lonkalta niin kuin oikeastaan koko suoritus. Niin mä itse asiassa sanon, että kun tämä editoi, niin Editoi vaan tismalleen sillä lailla, kun itseä huvittaa. Eikä mieti sitä asiaa yhtään. Nimenomaan, eikö se ollut just tarkoitus, että mitä ikinä milläkin hetkellä mieleen juolahtaa, niin käytät sitä Joo. heti. Siis se oli, että siinä mielessä se itse asiassa ihan oikeasti sopii surrealismiin. Siis jopa, jopa tämän suom- nämä suomenkieliset osiot itse asiassa halutessaan voi käyttää siinä jaksossa. Eihän niissä ole paskaakaan järkeä, mutta jos editointihetkellä tuntuu hauskauta jutulta, niin se, se sopii surrealismin teemaa ihan täysin. Joo, jättää nämä vaan tänne sinne loppuun. Mutta mä olin kyllä tosissani, täytyy mennä kohta ruiskuttaa tonne. Okei, okay, hei, kato, ei oo, ei, ei pidä tällä töikäistä <tos> Mä sammutan nauhurit täältä. Ja... Joo. Tuota noin, niin. No. Oliko se alien ensi viikolla? No en mä nyt ehkä tiedä mitä muutakaan sitten tässä varmaan mitä sen järkevämpääkään hetkinen. Meillä ei oikeastaan taida olla mitään kunnon listaa ja alienin jälkeen, paitsi se Docs Google. Mutta, uh. Joo, ei. ei. Meillä itse asiassa kaletri rupeaa sekoilemaan tässä vaiheessa aika pahasti. Joo. Alieni on vielä, sitten on kaksi viikkoa, kun meillä ei ole leffaa. Voi se pitää, mä vähän mietin, että pitäisikö sinne katsoa leffaa. Sitten meillä on y- 98, mille ei tällä hetkellä nimeä. Sitten meiltä puuttuu 99 ja sitten meillä on 100. Ja 100 sen jälkeen me nauhoitetaan andalusialainen koira. Opsista. <tos> Otetaanpa pois. 
Siellä se kummittelee. En, en, en ole nyt vaatimassa lisää taukoja, mutta kaksi vuodesta en meinaa kyllä ainakaan niin kuin suostua vähempää. Et mun mielestä se, se me tarvitaan jo niin kuin suoraan sanottuna jo niin kuin ihan oikeasti ansaitaankin. Tätä nyt sen verran kuitenkin koville ottaa. Mm. Oli sen verran kova jakso taas, että kyllä. <laughs> Ei, mutta... <laughs> no, mutta her- helvetti se alkoi. Ensi kerralla alien ja sitten me joudutaan tekemään jo ihan oikea jaksoja. <laughs> se on totta, se on totta. Ehkä, ehkä me voidaan katsoa enemmänkin näitä helvetin taidehärppäyshommeleita, mitkä voidaan sitten vaan perseellä. Vaikka sitten me voidaan ihan oikeasti, mä edelleen sitä mieltä, siis jos hätätilanne tulee, niin katsoa saataisiin, kun he kuolivat kumisaappaat jalassa. Ja kaikkea muuta Aerosol Productions-materiaalia, mikä kukaan ei koskaan pääse käsittämään. Olla silloin, että elokuva on olemassa, oma vikanne kuin että voi nähdä sitä. Hakekaa se käsi sinne opinut. Mut hei, mun täytyy varmaan päästä sun. Jees, no pistellään viestiä, ei tässä sen kummempaa nyt. Pistellään viestiä, mä haluan valmistautua siihen alieniin. Joo. Jees. Jees, palataan. Moi. So how are we in the bench again? So how are we here again? What is this? Am I tied physically to this chair? I, I guess neither one of us just have any goddamn life. But you, you know what, Henrik? You're not getting it. Yeah, I, I'm not. I'm not. And that's about it. Really? Yeah, well, the economy went boo-boo. 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 But, but, what, what, what? But y- your own life doesn't mean anything? By all means, you know, perform an armed robbery against mafia. <laughs> because somebody has to do it. Well, how does it make it so? I, I have this friend who who has hotels, bike shops, tourism shops, all these businesses. And he makes 8,000 a month. Well, yeah, I'm rolling in money. I, like, like somebody is molesting an elephant at the background. Oh, okay. <laughs>